Welcome to Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded Podcast. Hosted by Irving Risch. Light and Life Meditations on the Gospel and Epistles of John. By James Boyd. 2. Introduction, Continued, Light and Life. In the beginning of this Gospel we have the Creator, but spoken of as the Word, in the Epistle we have the same person in the creation, having taken part in it, and spoken of as the Word of Life. We read, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have contemplated, and our hands have handled of the word of life. A man in flesh and blood. The perfect revelation of the whole mind and thought and heart of the unseen God. And that revelation a word of life. Not death to the sinner. Not destruction to the rebellious child of fallen man, but life brought near to men under death. How wonderful. How attractive. How inspiriting. A man amongst men here to be heard, here to be seen, here to be contemplated, here to be handled. Come from the very heart of the Father, and on his way to the heart of the earth. In the epistle we find souls in the light. They are in the sphere of light that was created by the coming of the sun. He says, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Therefore is it said that God is in the light, 1 John chapter 1 verse 7, that is, he has been manifested, and As I have said, the sphere of light has been created by that manifestation. And it is in that sphere the believer walked. His eyes have been opened, he has apprehended the great truth that the Son is the sent one of the Father. Hence his thoughts of God are altogether altered. The light of the Father's love has come into his heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, and his soul is in the light of the perfect revelation of God. And in this light he walks. If we walk in the light, is not to be understood as if it said, if we walk according to the light, but altogether the sphere in which we walk. We can say we know that the Son of God has come, 1 John chapter 5 verse 20. How do we know this? A person might say, I know it because the scriptures say so, and I believe them. Very good. But that is not the whole truth on the subject, nor is it the way in which we know it as set forth in the verse, part of which I have quoted. When we awake in the morning, how do we know if the sun has risen? you will say that we can tell by the light that it brings. But has the Son of God brought no light into this world? The first epistle of John tells us that the true light now shines. And do we not know that it shines? Are its beams so feeble that we cannot tell whether it shines or not? We know that the Son of God has come, because we are in the light that he brought. He who made the sun to shine in the heavens gave us a capacity for taking in the light, and he who made the true light to shine has opened the eyes of our hearts to receive the light. He has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, in his Son Jesus Christ, he is the true God, and eternal life. This brings me to the question of life. The question of life was raised at the very beginning of the history of man. When man was made he was set in a very exalted position, but was to maintain himself in life and blessing by his obedience. There was one tree that would have preserved him in life as long as he had access to it. Severed from partaking of the fruit of that tree of life, decay that resulted in the death of the body set in. There was another tree that tested his obedience, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of this tree he was not to eat. He had nothing to do with that question, which was already in the creation, but not yet on earth. The key of the door by which it could enter, however, was placed in the hand of the innocent being who was made in the image and likeness of God. And he was well warned as to the consequence of his using that key. He opened the door, sin came in, and death followed. Hence life became a very important question in a world of human beings over whom death reigned. Was there any way back to life? If there was, where was it? Cherubim and a flaming sword guarded the tree of life. There was no way back to it. Was it in the law? 
death and the curse were there. No man could discover any better way of life than by the fulfillment of his obligation. But as no one could fulfill his obligations, no one could arrive at life. Now that we know the truth, we might think it strange that it did not dawn upon every inquiring mind, that only by the settlement of the question raised by man's partaking of the forbidden tree could life be reaped. The judgment incurred by that transgression could not be cancelled, and as the erring creature could never exhaust that judgment, so that he might stand before God as though he had never sinned. Lost he surely was from the outset of his sinful career. But we see the judgment has been executed in the cross of the lifted up Son of Man, and in that judgment, and by means of that judgment, man, as after the flesh, has disappeared. The serpent of brass indicates the judgment of God upon the serpent that bit the people, and is a type of sinful flesh receiving its judgment in the holy and righteous Saviour, who gave himself to bear that judgment, and glorify God in bearing it. And this work was undertaken and accomplished in order that the believer in Jesus might not perish, but have eternal life. Not that he might return to innocence, for that is impossible now that he has the knowledge of good and evil, nor that he might be immune from death in the life of fallen Adam. But that he might be partaker of the life of the risen Son of God, divine life, eternal life, life that has no ending, but life also that never had a beginning, life never taken by the Son. For it was his own eternal life, not like the life of flesh and blood, which he took in order to make atonement for our souls, and which, when he had made atonement, he gave up, and resumed not again. It is his own life, the life that is now in him, the life of divine persons, the life of Godhead, that has been communicated to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. What an inestimable blessing! This is the life of the children of God, as viewed in the first epistle, and by the display of the beautiful characteristics of that life are they made manifest. In the last verse of chapter 2 we read, If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that every one that does righteousness is born of him. Then again, we read in chapter 4. Every one that loves is born of God, and knoweth God. These two characteristics mark and manifest those born of God. And, whosoever does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loves not his brother. Let us lay to heart these words. Therefore new birth is a necessity for man. It was always a necessity since the fall, and in the sovereign grace of God there were always those who were subjects of it. But until the coming and rejection of Christ it was not plainly stated. It has been asked, if this was essential to the salvation of souls, why was it not stated? What would have been the benefit of the communication to men while man in the flesh, as a child of Adam, was under probation? There was always God to turn to. There was always grace for the guilty. There was always pardon for the penitent. What more was needed? New birth was not a thing that man could bring about, for it is of God we are born again. Why then tell us now? Man is now told because his trial is over, and he is pronounced God's enemy in nature, and in an utterly lost condition. Man thought he could gain righteousness and life by his own works, and it pleased God to give him a long and favorable opportunity in which to make trial, but the longer the trial was continued, and the more help he received from God, the more clearly was it manifested that he was a sinner by nature, and could be nothing else by practice. Therefore when the trial was over, and he was proven to be a hater of God, he is told the truth about himself, his lost condition, and the necessity that exists that he should have a new life and nature. But it would be a great mistake to suppose that new birth solved the whole question of life eternal, for this exists in the power of God. It is not only a work wrought in man, which new birth is, but it is a new life communicated to man, the life of the Father and the Son, of the Son before he became incarnate, but brought into humanity in his person by incarnation. He was that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us, and being the life of divine persons it was ever in divine power. Therefore it is in us in connection with the Holy Spirit, who is the vital union between the glorified Christ and his own.
I do not in the smallest degree desire to convey the impression that in new birth life is not communicated. We are born again by the living word of God, and where new birth is there is life. Nor do I question that that life is essentially the life of Christ, but when I come to the truth of eternal life, as set before us in the word, I find it connected with knowledge of the Father. And all the new relationships into which we are brought by faith in the gospel, and only those who have the Spirit know anything of these relationships. We have to keep in mind that everything we know in an objective way, with reference to the truth of Christianity, we know by the revelation God has been pleased to make to us. And as it is repentance and remission of sins that the gospel brings to us on the ground of the work of Christ, we cannot know more until more has been communicated to us. We receive the Holy Spirit when we believe that Christ died for our sins, and that he was buried, and that he was raised the third day. But this says nothing about new birth, children of God, or the relationship in which believers stand to one another as brethren. These blessings are made known to us after we have received the Spirit. But even the babes in Christ know the Father, and the Father is not known until we have received the Spirit of adoption. Now John, the only writer in the New Testament who credits the believer with eternal life in this world, does not include in the family of God one who does not know the Father. For these reasons, as well as others, I could not accept that new birth carries with it the blessing of eternal life. That which was from the beginning. With regard to the subject on which the Apostle was occupied, everything previous to the appearance of the Son on earth goes by the board. In the Son we have a new beginning of a new order of things. Old things were in decay, and fast disappearing. Soon they shall have passed away forever. The darkness must disappear before the true light which now shineth, the old race with its sinful and rebellious history must pass away. And the last Adam and his holy and righteous race must subsist in blessing to the glory and praise of God, the earthly must give place to the heavenly, and the old order to the new. The advent of the Creator into his own creation rang the death knell of that creation in the condition in which he found it. Behold, I make all things new, might not be said until thousands of years after, but the new heavens and the new earth were in the thought of God before the present earth and heavens were called into being. And the fathers had learned this important truth, I write unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. He does not say this to the babes or to the young men. He has other things to say to them, and warnings to give them, but the fathers had come to the understanding that God had made a new beginning in sending his Son into the world. And not only had the fathers known that he was the beginning of the creation of God, Revelation chapter 3 verse 14, but they had known him who was this. They had come to the knowledge of the Son of God, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13. Something of the greatness of the person who was this beginning had dawned upon their soul. Through the word of God they had learned of the creation of the heavens and the earth, and of the making of the earth into a habitable place for man. Before he was formed who was to take the position of head over the work of God's hands, and now before all things have been made new. They have seen the head to which everything in the universe is to be made subject. This is the reverse order to the old, there the man was the end of the old, here the man is the beginning of the new. And for this, need I say, there is a grand and glorious necessity. In the new everything derives from the head. Everything must put on the heavenly character. And when that day comes it will not be, when I look up into the heavens, the work of thy fingers, but it will be the work of his heart, and all founded on the blood of his cross. Neither will it be a scene that may be favoured by the uncertain visitations of the beneficent creator, as the innocent creation seems to have been. But it shall be a creation in which God shall be pleased to take up his abode, for the tabernacle of God shall be with men, and he will dwell among them, Revelation chapter 21.